We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Well, it's cool to see you guys tonight. Tonight we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 17. As we come to this crazy, crazy chapter where the northern kingdom of Israel is actually taken away into captivity by the Assyrians. And it's a heavy chapter. It's a warning for us. And aren't you guys grateful for the word of God that, you know, the Lord, he uses these studies to kind of keep us on track. You know, we, I think we all have a little bit of a, like a messed up alignment. Uh, you guys know what that is, right? You know how your car, if you let go of the steering wheel, it usually will veer to one way or the other. Um, and if it's really bad, if it hasn't been uh, aligned in a while, um, it can be pretty challenging. You're always fighting it. And that's the way we are. You know, in our fallen nature, we have a tendency to drift away. Uh, we have a tendency, uh, you know, just to, man, be going in the wrong direction. And uh, that's why it's always cool to be in the Word. You know, God's always... Uh, teaching us and warning us and instilling within us a healthy fear of the Lord. And we're going to see that in tonight's study. Um, heavy chapter. Look what it says, first of all, in verse 1 of Second Kings 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison." The first thing we see here is that um, because of their sin, Israel lost its leader. If you remember back in chapter 15, watch, go there real quick. Uh, chapter 15, in verse 30, we read about this guy, Hoshea. It says, Then Hoshea, the son of Elah, led a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and struck and killed him. So he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. And so there you see how this guy came to the crown. He conspired against the former king. Back in chapter 17, we read, look again, it says that he did evil in verse 2 in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. And so what that means is this guy was bad, uh, but he wasn't as bad as the others. And so maybe it's a little puzzling. You're wondering, then why did judgment come during his reign? And the answer is the handwriting was already on the wall. You know, God had already said, you guys have gone too far. You transgressed. And therefore, the judgment was coming. Not only that, to do bad in and of itself is worthy of judgment. We read here that Hoshea became a vassal king to the nation of Assyria. And that means that they would pay him money, you know. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, even here on the streets, man. 
You know, you might get a, a, a someone that says, hey, if you want to whatever, do business here, um, you know, you got to pay some lunch money type of thing, you know. Um, that's where Assyria was. Uh, Israel was a vassal to them. And uh, basically what we see here in the beginning was Hoshea surrendered to him. And the thing is this, you know, he surrendered to him rather than surrendering to the Lord. He paid tribute to him rather than paying tribute to the Lord. If only he would have surrendered to the Lord. If only we would have paid tribute to the Lord, then things would have been cool, right? But he did that, and of course that's going to leave an absolute emptiness inside. And so when that got old, um, what he did was he looked to Egypt. Uh, Again, we read right there, the king of Assyria in verse 4, uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to sow, king of Egypt. And he said he stopped paying him, and he went to Egypt. And he says, hey, can you guys help me out? You know, I don't like the situation that I'm in. And and so that was going to just bring everything down. The whole house was going to come tumbling. And so what ends up happening is he looked to the world. He looked to men rather than looking to the Lord. And I think that there's a lot of us guilty of that. You know, bottom line is... um, there's someone that you're putting up on a pedestal or there's some guy that you're looking to that you shouldn't be looking to. He's just a man. Don't you realize the infinite difference between a person and God? I mean, there's just this infinite difference. And that what was happening here is they were looking to, to men. And, I, and I'm guilty of that. You know, you, you look to people and you want to lean on people and you're kind of hoping that, you know, whatever it is, that would work out with them and... And a lot of times it doesn't. And if your eyes are on them, then your your life is going to be like this. It's going to be a roller coaster. Because, you know, um, I've just learned that in life. He went to Egypt. He went to the world. He went to men. And, you know, when you read the Bible, the, the, the thing is Egypt is a picture of the worldly society. Egypt is a picture of society. And Egypt is also a picture of slavery. Remember the Jews, they were in Egypt and they were slaves. If you live according to the standards of this world and this society, if you're conformed to this world, then you will become a slave to their standards. You see? And that's what we see in the the world. And and as we look at the scriptures, we find that ever since Abraham fled to Egypt, uh, we read that in Genesis 12, what ended up happening is a lot of Jewish leaders uh, looked to Egypt for help. Um, remember the way when the Jews had left Egypt, remember how they wanted to go back? You guys remember that? When times got tough, they wanted to go back. And there's a lot of people like that. You know, when times get tough, your faith gets tested. The enemy comes against you. A lot of times, you know, you have this misconception that things were better in the world, and they're not. But you just kind of remember the cucumbers and the leeks and the melons, and you remember certain things about it. But you forget what? You forget the slavery, right? In Numbers chapter 14, uh, turn there real quick. Mark this right here. And if you would, turn to Numbers chapter 14. When things got tough, it says in verse 1 that all the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried and the people wept that night. 
And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to do what? To return to Egypt? So they came up with a plan. They selected, they said to one another, Let us select the leader and return to Egypt. I just want to encourage you guys to know that these things are written for our own admonition. If ever you get that temptation to go back into the world, understand this is the picture of what God is painting for us. You know, in the book of Acts chapter 7 and verse 39, it's interesting. They didn't go back physically, but the book of Acts chapter 7 verse 39 said they did go back to Egypt in their hearts. And that can happen. You know, it's almost easier to take someone out of Egypt than it is to take Egypt out of them. And you can take someone out of the world, and maybe they even get saved, but there's a lifelong challenge to take the world out of them. And that's why Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world. You know, it's so important that we don't go back to Egypt Isaiah 30, verses 1 through 3, it says, Woe to the rebellious children who take counsel, but not of me. They go and they ask other people, and they're not even Christians. Why are you asking them about your life? You go to the world, you go to the psychologist, go to the Lord, right? But he says, Woe to them. They, they go and they take counsel from the world, but not of me, who devise plans, but not of my spirit. There's a lot of people that think, Well, I got a good idea. This is what I should do. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you pray about it? Did God speak to you? You know, and a lot of times it's not. I got a great idea. Where did it come from? Did it come from God? You really have to really make sure that you hear the Lord's voice. But what ends up happening, is says they add sin to sin. Who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. Here we have this king right here, king of Israel. He goes to Egypt rather than going to God. And I think looking at it now for us here, you know, we think we see the futility of it, but the reality of it is a lot of times we really do the same thing. We don't get on our knees and pray. We don't get in the word and what I've realized is that when you got it when you go to the Bible man and you're reading your Bible expect God to speak to you have that expectation like Lord I need to hear a word every day I need to hear a word Lord I need your wisdom Lord I need your strength and you go to the word you go to your knees you really do you know go to the Lord and not to the world Warren Risby said, So it is with believers today who turn to the world for help instead of waiting on the Lord and trusting in Him. And so this king right here, it says there, um, he got the king came and, and, and arrested him and threw him in prison, right? And so they lost their leader. They lost their leader. Secondly, Israel lost their land. Look what we read in verse 5. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it, or he surrounded it, for three years. Imagine that, you guys, if you can. If someone came, we'll just say the city of Almani. I know it's a pretty big city, but if some you know, army came and surrounded the city and they said nothing goes out, nothing comes in, right? 
Um, and of course, back then they didn't have water faucets, right? <laughs> they didn't have water uh, resources. Three years, okay, three years they besieged the city. And we know as we study history what happens. People starve. People eat their children, things like that. It's an ugly thing. And so he besieges it for three years. And then finally in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the Habar, the river of Gozan and the cities of the Medes. And so they lose their, their leader and then they, they lose their land. You know, and it's sad, but God was so specific. God had told them explicitly what he would do to them if they would not obey him. He had made him a promise that if they would obey, they would stay. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 40, it says, You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong, there it is, prolong your days in the land, which the Lord your God has given you for all time. And so he makes it so cool. He says, I'll tell you what, the blessings that I give to you, the positions, the land, you know, all those good things that are destined for you, they're yours to keep. They're yours forever. All you have to do is obey, right? And, and he said that if you obey, you stay. But if your heart turned away, then you'd be carried away. See how it rhymes, all that right there? But we remember that, right? You obey, you stay. Your heart turns away. Then you're carried away, right? Deuteronomy 30, verse 17. God says it so clearly. If your heart, there it is. And think about that for a second. If your heart. I mean, I'm not talking about like straight out, you know, I'm doing drugs, type of thing i'm talking about where is your heart if your heart turns away if your heart loses passion if you're not on fire for the lord in your heart if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and then what happens you're drawn away you worship other gods and serve them god says i announce to you today let me make an announcement that you shall surely perish you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the jordan to go in and possess. You see, here's the thing that I want to encourage you in. As I was going through uh, the scriptures the other day, the Lord was just telling me two things. You, Manny, you want to go in and possess the land. You want to possess it. A lot of people don't even possess it. They're still wandering in the wilderness. It's time to cross over the Jordan. It's time to possess it, right? Victorious Christian living. I should answer this. No. Um, you want to possess it. Actually, this is a brother here that was... Uh, he went to court today. I've been praying for him all day. Anyways, you want to possess it, and then you want to prolong it. You want to stay in there, you see? And that's the lessons that we read of in the Old Testament. You know, what ends up happening is he conquers Samaria. And you guys know the story. For those of you who read your Bible, we're going to read more about it later, the Samaritans. Um, you know, eventually there would be a general hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans which is this area that was conquered right here. We're going to see he took the Jews out of the land and then he brought others from nations that they had conquered into the land. It, they mingled together, uh, not only their religion, but their race. It was basically, you know, got, in, in one sense, not in a total sense, uh, just in case you guys ever study about the lost 10 tribes of Israel. Okay, that's not true. 
Okay, there's still the, there's still an identification of the ten tribes. God was able to bring some of them back, but a lot of them lost their identity. And there is a heavy there is a heavy warning for us in looking at this. You know, we're going to see more in the Samaritans, but according to John chapter four verse nine, it came the place where Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. That's how bad this got. And so, you know, the leader's gone. The land is gone. The beautiful, bountiful blessings from God were lost. And to lose the land meant that the hand of God's discipline would fall hard upon them. And it's a warning for us, you guys. You know, um, God is good and God is gracious. And I don't want to condemn anybody here. You know, if you, you know, let's just say you're trying. You know, you're trying to live a proper life, man. You're not living in die-cast rebellion against God. You know, you're, you're trying. You know, you're shooting. Yeah, you missed the mark, but you're always aiming for the bullseye. You know what I'm saying? But if you're here today and if you know people, and sometimes we see it in the church, and they're, and they're just, they don't care. They don't care. Their heart is cold and they are far. They don't even have a, a desire to pray the way they should. They don't have a desire to serve the Lord and treat their family right, whatever it might be. You know, they're living and they're having an affair. A lot of guys, sometimes even in the church, I can't believe it. But they're living a double life. If that's you, then this is for you. And God is just saying, if that's you, you're going to lose your land. You're going to lose your blessings, the beautiful bounty that God has for you. And so to me, it always just strikes fear into my heart. I want to I wanna be a godly man. I, I love the Lord. And I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord. Because I see what ends up happening when we don't walk the way that we should. You remember David. uh, He's an example of that. Even though he was a man after God's own heart, uh, probably better than most of us here in, in one sense, but there came a time when kings went out to battle, and the Bible says that he didn't. He was just kicking back in the palace. And so he went up on the top of the roof and he saw a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing. What did he do? He said, hey, you know, called for her. Who is this lady? Oh, she's Bathsheba. She's married. And so that should have been like a a red light, you know, for sure. But he just called her, slept with her. She became pregnant. You guys probably know the whole story. And then what ends up happening? Uh, Her husband, Uzziah, calls him in from the field. A great, great man. He kills him. Kills Uzziah, brings Bathsheba in, thinks that everything's cool, that he got away with his sin. But what does the Bible say? Your sin will find you out. You may be really good at hiding it. You may be a great person at hiding it, but God will shout it from the mountaintops. Your sin will find, God will expose you. And so what ends up happening is after an extended period of time, finally Nathan comes. God had given him a chance to repent. And, you know, one of the things my pastor always tells me, he says, don't wait until you get caught. Come forward now. If there's sin in your life, if you're living that dual life, don't wait till you get caught. Because you know what? That changes everything. You come clean now. You confess now, and there's going to be greater hope for you. David didn't do that. David waited. Nathan told him the whole story about this guy that had a whole bunch of sheep 
Man, he was rich. And then he had a next door neighbor that only had one sheep. You guys remember the story? And he loved the little sheep. You know, kind of like I love my dog Chip. I mean, he really loved that sheep. And he would sleep with it. And then finally, you know, we tell the story about one day a traveler comes and he visits this guy that has a plethora of sheeps. And what ends up happening? He doesn't even take one of his sheeps. What does he do? He goes and he takes the one, the one that this guy has. And what did, you know, David said, that man shall die, right? And then what did Nathan say? You're the man. You're the man. And Nathan pronounces a judgment because of this. God said, I would have done so much more with your life. I would have. Famous last words. But not anymore. Right? From now on, the sword will not depart from your house. And you guys know, right? I mean, kids dying you know, one sibling killing another sibling. David losing the, I mean, Absalom. And it's just a crazy story. Why? Because of his diecast rebellion. See, and so for us, it's just the warning. You know, I mean, I mean, more than likely, if you come to a midweek service, you know, on you know Thursday night here at Calvary Chapel Almani, you know, you're. You're, you know, there's most of you here are probably, you know, you're trying and, and, you're, and you're doing okay. But there might be some who aren't. And God is just challenging us. He says, listen, this right here is a warning for you, you know, to make sure that we get our hearts right. You see, in looking at our text today, we see that Israel lost its leader and Israel lost its land. And you want to know why? Because Israel lost their Lord. Or if I could just put it a better way, Israel left their Lord. That's why they lost their land. That's why they lost their leader, because they left the Lord. Look what it says in verse 7. It kind of gives an explanation. And some say it's almost like a legal explanation before a judge. He says, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. Also, the children of Israel secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. I mean, like the very thing the Lord said, don't do this. They said, hey, we're on it. You know, we're going to do it. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and covenant 
that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them, specifically that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves molded images and two calves, made a wooden image and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons, this is how bad it was, they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. So the Assyrians came. They surrounded the city for three years. And once they you know, got them to that place, they carried them away captive. And you guys probably know the stories. The Assyrians were ruthless people. They would cut off a limb. They would gouge out an eye. They would put a, a hook inside your mouth and they would carry you away. I mean, naked. It was just so humiliating. This happened to God's people. They lost their leader. They lost their land. Why? It explains right here. Because they had lost the Lord. You know, the Jews had a living Lord, but they replaced him with dead idols. This right here reads like a legal court case against the northern kingdom of Israel. And you know, I mean, they're all related, but in one sense, there's three things to think about. Number one, idolatry. Idolatry is when you put anything before God. Now, we know there's only one God, and so these other so-called gods are not real. But what ends up happening is we make them gods. We make Asherah God. We make Baal God. We make these two cows God. We make Molech God. Why? Because we put them, we worship them more than we do the Lord. You know, I told last Sunday, I was mentioning how, you know, what is worship? And, and I think it's, you know, what consumes your time and why? What consumes your treasure and why? What consumes your thoughts? What are you always, who are you always thinking of? It could be a person. They always come to your mind for whatever reason. I'm not talking about when the Lord plays someone on your heart to pray for, but this is the person you try to please. They're your God. Or whatever it is that you put before the Lord. Idolatry is something that I think that we can be so easily guilty of. And of course, we know that the one that we more uh, most worship is ourselves, right? The unholy trinity. You guys have heard that, right? Me, myself, and I. <laughs> it's all about me, right? So another thing is not only idolatry, but also being worldly. Being worldly. And so they were just like the nations that God had vomited out. Think about them. Think about that. You know, guys, that's an ugly illustration, huh? To throw up, to vomit out. God vomited them out of the land. And then what ended up happening is God vomited them out of the land. Jesus said this, I wish you were either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, he said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Same parallel. You know, what ends up happening? And, then, and in the end, not only idolatry, not only being worldly, just like the world, there's no difference between you and them. And then the other one is secretly. You know, they did things secretly. We read that in verse 9. Also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God. Things that were not right. You know, somehow for whatever reason we think that if I can just kind of bury my head in the sand 
and you know no one else sees and the bottom line is God sees he sees what's going on in our hearts and our minds and our homes and the darkest places and what God wants is this absolute integrity man you know to where there's no uh, skeletons in our closet you know but what ended up happening is they would not heed the warnings of God's word the proclamation of God's prophets. They would not listen to God's speakers who were sent by him. We read that there. Look at verse 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments. You know, and, and, I, and I, I don't know, like, how it is with you. I know every once in a while my wife will correct me. Like, you know, like every hour, I think. Um, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, she needs to. You know, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when someone corrects us, we get all upset. You know, we get defensive. And you guys know what that is, right? It's pride. Pride. So whenever, you know, my wife, you know, corrects me, I just try to stop. And I just try to take it to the Lord, you know, because a lot of times we don't see it. And when you get a verbal rebuke from God, I thank God for that, you know. Um, turn from your turn from your wicked ways, you know. But what ends up happening is they end up stiff neck. You guys know what like a stiff neck is, right? And uh, and they and they wouldn't they wouldn't turn. They wouldn't turn. And all we have to do tonight is turn. Proverbs one twenty three, one of my favorite verses, it says, Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I mean, what an awesome promise. Turn from whatever sin it is. Maybe you're guilty of, and I don't want to get legalistic, but who knows? There might be some here today that you just watch TV. All That's all you do. You know, and then you go home and, you know, you watch TV. You get, I guess, at the end, some nacho cheese Doritos, and, and you watch TV for another three or four hours, Right? And God is just saying, Mijo, can you just stop and maybe read one psalm tonight? Maybe you can pray for like five minutes or ten minutes. Because what ends up happening, I found, because they used to burn the, uh, the they, would, they would light the, uh, the, the light in the morning and at night. They would offer the lamb in the morning and at night. And that man, he meditates in his word day and night. There's something there I think is beautiful. You know, and again, not to get legalistic, this is between you and the Lord, but I know for me, God's always been challenging me in that area. You know, don't just go home and watch TV for four hours. You know, maybe for three, okay? I don't know, but God will show you. But at least give me one hour. Give me some time, God says. And you're going to find, and what I found is that it's just so cool. It's almost like our kids. They don't want to take a bath, but once you get them in there, they don't want to come out, right? You know, ah, your flesh is fighting it. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read. Whatever. I don't want to read and pray with my family. And God is just saying, do it. And you're going to get so blessed. Turn. That's all you got to do is turn. Sometimes it's sins of commission that you got to stop. Sometimes it's sins of omission that you haven't been doing that you should be doing. But the Lord will show you. If you turn at his rebuke, surely, not just maybe, surely God will pour out his spirit on you because for a lot of us here it's not a matter of knowledge you know the word it's not a matter of wisdom you know the bible it's a matter of power 
You don't have the power to do what you know you're supposed to do. Romans 7 talks all about that. The good that I want to do, I don't do. The bad that I want to stop doing, I keep doing. Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? And what does he say? Jesus will. Romans 8 says the Spirit will. But all you got to do is turn at God's rebuke, and then you're going to get the power. God says, I'll make my words known to you. Ezekiel 33.11, he says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. There might be some here today on their way to hell. Maybe someone listened to this message one day on a CD. You're on your way to hell. Do you know what that means? Forever separated from God, forever and ever without a second chance. God does not want you to go there. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so what does he say? Turn, turn from your wicked ways. He says, why should you die? O house of Israel. You know, and just in case you're thinking, well, that's an Old Testament message. Paul said the same thing in Acts 26. He said, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem. In other words, I've been doing this all my life, that throughout the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. You know, and I like what Paul says there because this is going to be a key for us, I think, in life is to turn from your sins, but you've got to turn to God. And this is the thing, because you guys know I'm weird, right? You know, you return to God. You know, why did this guy fall? Why did that happen? And, and I, why aren't they in tune with the Spirit? The answer is simple. And I was, you know, investigating. I'm like, how could this happen? How in the world could this happen? How could God's beautiful people do something like this? Something like this? And the answer is they left their first love. Right? And they left and they drifted away. And you can do anything. I don't care who you are. You can do anything if you drift away from God. You know, guys much more godly than you falling into affairs. Girls, too. It happens to you. You know, they're out there. And they're, next thing you know, they're, they're just, they're back doing crystal meth again. They're back and they're in bondage to pornography. Guys that used to preach. How can it happen? They left their first love. They need to turn from their sins and return to God. That's it. It's so simple. Come back to the Lord. You know, go in your backyard, you get on your knees, and you start talking to God the way that you're supposed to. And don't make any excuses. Yeah, but God, that's not the Lord, man. You know, because how are you going to make it? How are you going to make it without drawing from the wells of living water? Jeremiah 3.14 says, Return. Return. O backsliding children. He says, For I am married to you. I will take you from one city to another and from two from a family and I will bring you to Zion. Isn't that so cool? Hosea 14. Again, these are guys that were prophesying in this time. Isaiah as well. Hosea said, O Israel, return to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your 
iniquity. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You see, the thing is this, is that Israel not only rejected God's commandments, um, they also rejected God's covenant. Look at verse 15. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant. See, it's more to it than just rules. It's relationship. See, it's more to it than just commandments. It's a covenant that Israel had with God, that God established with them. A relationship. See? I mean, back here, look, it says in verse 16, they left all the commandments. So they left the commandments, but it's only because they left the covenant. They despised the rule of God and despised their relationship with God. And I just really want to encourage you guys back into this. Not a religion. It's not a religion. It's not about just going through the motions. We know how to do that. We are experts at that. We are just so good at being robotic in these things. We could sing these songs right here. And you know, you don't even know what you're singing. You're not even paying attention to God at times. For whatever reason, you're thinking of other things or you're wondering how good you sound. And, and you know, and all I know, you guys, all I know is I, I've been there. I've been there. When, and, and, and the Lord just says it can't be that routine religious thing apart from a relationship. And you're walking your whole day. And it's not just, it's not that God is there in my holy spot where I kneel and pray. He's there. But then on my car, he's there. And then when I'm going to my job, he's there. And you're constantly communing with him. You don't lose that covenant. You don't lose that communion. You don't lose that relationship. And I know it can be challenging because the world is constantly trying to get your eyes off the Lord, but you just work so hard and you fix your eyes on Jesus. See? You see, what happened here is they disobeyed God. And so what ends up happening is God says, okay, well, I want you guys to know that that land's mine. You're just tenants there, right? And so they wouldn't take heed to the conviction, so they suffered eviction, right? God kicked them out, right? They would possess the land and enjoy its blessings as long as they kept the terms of the covenant, but repeated disobedience would bring discipline within the land and ultimately discipline even outside the land and they sunk to the bottom because God followed through with his threat you can read about it in Deuteronomy 4 25 through 27 now something real interesting you guys in verse 18 notice it says right there therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight now that was interesting to me you want to know why because I've been going through this book and I keep reading about how they did evil in his sight 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 he did good in his sight every king has a, some type of summary what they did in his sight but now it's interesting he says he removed them from his sight 
And in reading that, I realized that this is not just God's, you know, ability to see everything. It's more than that. It's not just his, you know, omniscience or omnipresence so I can see everything. It's more than that. You want to know what it is? It's his oversight. How God not only sees us and we're in his sight, but when we're his children, we're like under this banner of his oversight. And they did evil in his sight. They did evil even under his oversight. Until finally the day God says, okay, you don't want me? Fine, I will honor your request and you're out of my sight. In one sense, like Romans chapter 1 says, I I gave them up. I used to have my hand all over them. I used to protect them so much. But they don't want me anymore, so I'll let them do their own thing. And watch what happens. When you don't want God, your life will always naturally digress. God will honor that request. And it's just so crazy when you read this right here. And we're going to see it over and over again. The Lord was angry with them and removed them from his sight. The the word sight in 2 Kings is found 20 times. They did evil in his sight. You know, it's interesting in chapter 3, if you want to turn there, verse 18, it says, you know, how God would give him victory. This is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. So it's not just so he sees it. It's a simple matter in the sight of the Lord and the oversight of the Lord. And we're going to see this again in verse 20 and 23 of our text in 2 Kings chapter 17. And God got mad. Now, when you think of God getting angry, do you think of a, te- a temper tantrum? A two-year-old temper tantrum? No. The anger of the Lord is His holy wrath. A holy wrath. It can't be compared to a typical tantrum of a two-year-old, right? It's God, and it's a just anger. And so we see in verse 19 that Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God. Now this is now the southern kingdom. But walked in the statutes of Israel which they made, and the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had, there it is again, cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel. There it is again out of his sight as he had said by all his servants the prophets and so Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is this to this day and so it's interesting you guys know this huh? you guys Abraham 2000 BC when you think of David what do you think 1000 BC those are easy ones to remember I don't remember a whole lot of things but I do remember that and then, so, you know, you know, you got Saul, he had 40 years reigning. Uh, David had 40 years reigning. Solomon had 40 years reigning. So what you find is that by the time Jeroboam came on the scene and Rehoboam and the kingdom was divided in First Kings 12, 
It's about 200 years before this happens, which is in 722 B.C. And 722 B.C. And so when Israel was divided, here's the thing that's interesting. When they were divided, right away, Jeroboam set up the calf. It was a false worship. He said, this is the Lord, but he made a cow, right? Goes back to Egypt. It's crazy. It's all there, right? It started with Aaron. It started with him not restraining the people. And they fashioned a calf. They couldn't get Egypt out of their hearts. They just couldn't. And so what ends up happening is um, from the very get-go, God just kept warning them. For how long? 200 years. 200 years. How long has God been warning you? For whatever it is. And you're like, well, he hasn't killed me yet. (laughs) He hasn't, you know, made me, you know, whatever, ruined me yet. He hasn't, you know, whatever. And, And don't take that as his approval. Don't take that as, well, you know, continue in sin that grace may abound. You know what it says literally in the Greek? Perish the thought. It says kill, kill that thought. Take it out of your mind and kill it. We can't continue in sin that grace may abound, right? Romans chapter 5, and then Romans chapter 6, right? What shall we say to these things? If we die with Christ, then we died to sin, right? Our body, when Christ was crucified, the old man was crucified with him. Did you know that? Was buried with him. But then the new man rose with him. See, we're supposed to be different, completely different now. The old man is dead. Okay, ladies, that's not your boyfriend or husband or whatever. For us, that's the flesh, right? And so what ends up happening, they had 200 years of warning. He mentions Judah year. 136 years later, they also would be carried away. But they would be carried away by Babylon in 586 B.C. And so what ends up happening, we read this interesting story in verse 24. It says, Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel, and they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And so, I don't know if you guys can follow it, but just in case. So, the majority, many of the Jews were taken away, and then they brought foreigners from other lands and they brought them to Samaria to repopulate the land with all these different nationalities. It says, And so it was in verse 25 at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. And that's, that's Lord right there is the uh, Tetragrammatron. That's God's personal name. They did not fear Yahweh. They didn't fear him. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. And this is literally lions, right? Literally lions, but figuratively, who? It's the devil, right? The enemy came, consumed them. And so they spoke to the king of Assyria, and they said, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria, they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and indeed, they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land of the land and in those days you guys know they had that concept like every nation every land had their own god right and so they said hey the reason we're getting you know um attacked and killed by lions is because we're not appeasing the god of of this land and so um the king of assyria commanded saying send there one of the priests whom you brought out from there 
Let him go and dwell there and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. And I don't know about you, but there's so much I don't like about that. But even the word rituals, you know, like, no, that's what we're trying to break free from. We need a relationship. And then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. The problem is, what's in Bethel? Bethel is where they have the shrine to the calf. Who is this guy? You're not teaching them the truth. Verse 29, However, in every nation, continue to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places, which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Sukkoth and Benoth. The men of Kuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashma. And the Arvites made Nebhaz and Tartak and the Sepharvites uh, burned their children in the fire. Now you'll see Molech in here, Adramelech and Anamelech, again related to Molech, the gods of Sepharvim. So they feared the Lord. Essentially like, hey, cool. They feared the Lord. And from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. And so, you know, you, you read that, and you're like, oh, cool, they feared the Lord. But the problem is, is they were two-timers or three-timers or whatever. You know, you put more in there. You guys probably, uh, uh, I don't know, isn't, have you guys ever tripped out on this? Some people say it's good to have, like, open relationship. You know, you're married, and yeah, we're, we're so good, but, you know, they can be with other people. That's fine. You know, we love each other. God doesn't have open relationships, just to let you know, man. Um, he's a jealous God. He's very jealous. We live in a world now, it's a very pluralistic society, and um, they believe that it's okay, you know. I remember one kid, he was going to a Christian school, and one parent was Christian, the other parent was Buddhist. And so he said, this half of my heart is for Buddha, this half of my heart is for Jesus. We live in a world now that wants to coexist, right, and have a plurality of gods, thinking that they're all equal. And yet, you know, the problem with that is they're not. How many ways is there to heaven? There's only one way. Acts 4.12 says there's no other name. Jesus, right? John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, many people today applaud the World Congress of Religions, but the Lord hates it because it's a lie. God abhors it. We know in our country all religions are equal before the law. Don't get me wrong. You have the freedom to practice and do whatever you want. But understand this. They're not equal before the Lord. Why is that? Because God wants you to go to heaven. God wants you to go to, it's not that we're narrow-minded, you know, bigots or whatever. It's just that God wants everybody to go to heaven and Jesus is the way. And that's the only reason. And so this happened, they mixed it all up, and that's why in, in John chapter 4, the Jews really struggled with them. He said, you Samaritans, you guys are real emotional, but you're not true. You got to have both, spirit and truth. So we're going to see this as we go through. 
Even in verse 34, to this day they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law and commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice. You know, it's interesting. We read earlier how they they forgot the Lord who had brought them out of Egypt. Um, remember in verse 7, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord, their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. I mean, I mean, who saved you? Who saved you? Right? We forget him. And what we find right here is the same thing is happening, you know? You know, Peter said in Second Peter chapter 1, he said, the problem with you guys, you know, you're not able to, you know, live in this ladder of virtues is you forgot you were cleansed. You forgot what God has done for you, how God brought you out of Egypt. You know, I pray that we would remember, you know, um, maybe God used a human instrument, and that's cool. You know, God usually does. And, you know, maybe God has used other human instruments in your life to help you, you know, grow. Well, praise God for that. The evangelist and the teacher, whatever, the pastor, the preacher, whatever it might be. But you guys got to know that it's the Lord who saved you, right? He brought you out of Egypt. Do you remember what it was like in Egypt? Does any, do any, I mean, I don't want to, like, you know, make you stumble or anything, but do you remember how dead you were when you were in Egypt? Do you remember? I mean, you know, people would come and witness to me. I mean, before I was a Christian, I did not understand a word they were saying. I'm like, dude, you're sweating. You're witnessing so hard. (laughs) I remember this one guy, Tony, he was just freaking out. And I just don't remember a word he said. I don't remember it. I I read my Bible before I was a Christian and didn't understand any of it. Because I was dead in my sins. And I was addicted to sin. I could not stop. But then that day came. And God brought, God brought me out of Egypt. Now the children of Israel are such a good illustration. They were there for 400 years. They were slaves of Egypt. And uh, we, we know that's got to be a tough life, right? The bondage. Um, the slavery. No hope. There's no hope to get out of that. I mean, you're there, and you're against the most powerful nation in the world. There was no hope. And Ephesians 2 says, there was no hope for us. We were on this slippery slope to hell without hope. But then what does it say? But God. God came in and, and saved us. He breathed into us life. And, and that's, I think, a lot of times what ends up happening is we forget what God has done. We forget that God brought us out of Egypt. You know, and so we read right here in verse 37 in the statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandment which he wrote for you. You shall be careful to observe. Be careful. Now this Lord's really been ministering to me this lately. Be careful 
to observe it. I think a lot of times we're careless as Christians. We kind of think what's going to happen, right? And and cool, sometimes it does, the Holy Spirit is just, but you got to be careful. You have to walk circumspectly. I don't know about you, but I sin so easily with my mouth. Just like that. You know, my wife will say something and I'm just, man, think before you speak, knucklehead. What's wrong with you, right? But a lot of times that's what happens. You have to be so careful. And I walked in my, and this is a thought that came into my mind today. And you guys are going to probably going to say, man, that guy's all messed up. Why is he preaching? So I'm going to tell you that right off the bat, I am messed up. But you want to know what came into my mind today? This is what came into my mind in, in, in today. That every room in my house, I want to put up a sign that says, hate sin. So that way I'm walking through my house. I'm always reminded, hate sin. Juan has it, love God. Just, just, just plaster your house with that. Hate sin, love God. Hate, and you're constantly reminded of that. We have to be careful to observe forever. And these are things. He says, you shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God, you shall fear. And he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, what happened? They did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also the children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day. And so what ended up happening? We'll we'll do it this way. We'll just say it this way. They left the Lord. They lost the Lord. So they lost their leader. They lost their land. And they lost their life. They lost their life. The abundant life that God had provided for them was something that they forfeited. And it's it's a good word, you guys. It's something that I pray that we would always have in our hearts, a heavy warning to get right in God's sight and then stay there under His oversight. And Warren Wiersbe said, it's often been said that one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. But my prayer is that you and I would learn uh, from history. The Bible says these things are written for our own admonition and that we would learn and that we would turn, that we would return to the Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much for loving us, Lord, for writing this word uh, for us. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just take this word and just really make us We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.